himself through the death and resurrection of his son, this gift of a right relationship with God. And as, as fully loved people of God, as, as people that understand God's grace and love, we learned last week that we're to give his love and grace and way. But tonight, tonight we focus on the birth of Jesus. This celebration of God coming down as a baby. God becoming flesh. And as a way to focus our attention on the birth of Christ, I'd love for us to read the words of Matthew's account of Christ's birth. The words will be on the screen. They're also in your pew Bible and Matthew chapter 1. But I'd love for us to stand and read these words together in Matthew chapter 1. So if you have your Bibles, please stand or the words will also be on the screen. We're going to read the birth of Jesus Christ starting in verse 18. Let's read it together. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son. And they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Please have a seat. What an amazing story. I mean, what a compelling story. What a, a, a fantastic story of drama and tension and a marriage in crisis. I mean, this is an excellent story. And although Matthew's account doesn't include the shepherds or an inn or the barn animals, we see this drama unfolding where God became man. And although the story of Christ is this wonderful, compelling story, sometimes we miss it. I'm not exactly sure why. Sometimes we miss the story of Christ because maybe we've, we've heard it before. You know, we've heard it time and time again that maybe it's lost some of its power because as a matter of fact, you know, we know what's going to happen. We know that the child is going to come. We know that the angels are going to say, we've been hearing this story time and time again. And because we are familiar with the story of Christ's birth, sometimes we miss the power behind this wonderful, compelling story of God becoming flesh. So tonight, just for a few minutes, I want to go backstage. I want to go behind the curtain of the story of Christmas and learn more about the story of God. I want to give you a backstage pass to see this great God and, and his who he is and why he came down to live among us and to be born as a baby. I want to give you a backstage pass into the story of Christmas. A few years ago, I had an opportunity to go backstage at a major concert. It was the band U2. 
And my sister gave me a backstage pass to go beyond the curtain, beyond the lights and the music and all the hoopla of the concert and to meet some of the musicians. I went into the VVIP room and I had a chance to meet Bono's trainer. He's a He's a Canadian hockey player, and we got to talk a little bit about how, how Bono was uh, training as he was traveling to different parts around the world, singing music with you, too. And then I got to meet some of the roadies. You know, they don't call Bono uh, by his name. They call him Elvis. And uh, while I was waiting in this VVIP room with about 10 or 12 other people, some of his roadies were saying, Elvis is coming, Elvis is coming. And all of a sudden, he came into this room. With me and about 10, 12 other people. And he didn't come as I expected. He was a little bit shorter. And, uh, and then he said these words. He said, hallelujah. I couldn't believe my ears. There's Bono saying hallelujah. He says, if God is for anything, God is for the poor. And I heard Bono talk just for a little while about his heart for people. And I got to understand a little bit about the man behind the music. And in hearing his heart for people and hearing his heart for the poor, I gained a much better picture, a much better understanding of who this person is beyond the hoopla of the stage and the show and the drama of the performance. And that's what I want to do today. I want to go backstage. I want to go beyond the curtain. I want to go past the shepherds and the manger scene and the animals. I want to go past Mary and Joseph. I want to introduce you to the star of the Christmas story, God himself. Because when you meet the star of the Christmas story and you hear his heart for people, you'll gain a much better appreciation and understanding of the story of Christmas. See, tonight we want to get the story of God and let that inform the story of Christmas. Because if we understand the story of God, we will understand more appropriately the story of Christmas. And I'd like to start tonight with a quote and a question. The quote comes from A.W. Tozer, a theologian who wrote a number of books. And he's quoted as saying this. What comes to your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. I just love that quote. What comes to your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. What picture, what word, what phrase comes to your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you because that shapes your understanding of God and of the world. So let me ask you in this Christmas Eve worship service, let me ask you that question. What comes to your mind when you hear the word God? What word, what phrase, what image pops into your mind when you hear the word God? Do you have that word? Do you have that phrase? Do you have that image of God in your mind? In your pew in front of you, there's a pencil. and the program that you receive, there's some paper in the back. And if you would, you could just write that word down. That word, that image, that phrase that comes to your mind when you hear the word God. Because that's what we want to talk about tonight. God, the main character in the Christmas story, the creator, the producer of the Christmas story, the most important thing about you, that is what we want to spend our time talking about today. Now, I'm sure some of you, the word that popped into your mind when you heard the word God was love. Anybody have love pop into your mind when you hear the word God? 
And that's great because God is love. He's kind of like the Beatles, you know, love, 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 that God is love. How many had grace? How many have grace pop into your mind when you heard the word grace? That means you were paying attention these last couple of weeks as we've been studying and learning about God, this God of grace. How about, how about justice or truth or triune? Did anybody have triune when the word came into your mind about God? Because if you had triune, then you're close to understanding the person behind the story of Christmas. You're getting closer. You're going backstage to understand who God is, how he orchestrated this miracle that we are celebrating tonight. Because God is triune, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God, this triune God, lived in perfect unity and community. He lived before the world began. And out of an overflow of joy, God decided to create the sun and the moon and the stars, the planets and the land and the animals. He decided to create humanity. And he placed Adam and Eve in paradise, this beautiful garden, this world of grace. And he gave him just one command. Hey, don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Because if you eat of it, you will surely die. And we all know that he ate, they ate that fruit. And they died. They didn't die physically right away. That came a little bit later. They died spiritually. They were separated from God. And ever since that point of sin, that disobedience in the garden, God's been coming after his people and wooing them back into a relationship with him. God is continually calling his people back. Starting from Noah and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Moses and all the leaders and people in the law. These are all ways of God asking, wooing his people to return to a right relationship with him. But the people throughout the history of the Bible kept turning away from God, kept turning away from God's ways. People continued to worship the creation over the creator. So God said, I've had enough. I'm coming down. I'm going to show them who I really am. I'm going to come down and reveal to the people who I really am and forever take care of this problem of sin and death. So God came down as a baby. He became flesh. And that's what we celebrate at Christmas. God, the son coming down to take on human flesh. But he didn't come as we expected. He didn't come down in judgment to punish the sin. He didn't come down in, in uh, consequence. He came down in grace upon grace upon grace. And every interaction that Jesus had was just full of grace upon grace upon grace. And at the end of his life, he showed his grace the most when he died in our place. After living a perfect life, he paid the penalty for our sin so that he could give us a right relationship with God. Not based in our performance, not based if we've been a good little boy or a good little girl, not based on what we do, but solely based upon the work that Christ did on the cross. He gave us this gift of grace. And that's what we open at Christmas time. Those are the, that's the main present around the tree. It's this gift of a right relationship with God. Not based in our performance, but based on his work on the cross. For John said it this way, for God so loved the world that he gave us his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. God so loved the world that he gave us this gift of a right relationship with him through his son.
That whoever believes shall not perish, have eternal separation from God, but have eternal life. Life abundant. Life in Christ. See, that's the message of Christmas. That's how much God loves us. He came down from heaven to be among us. To create this community of people that will worship Him. He died in our place so that we might have a personal relationship with Him. See, earlier tonight we read that passage in Matthew that says, The virgin will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. See, God came down to be with us, to have a relationship with us. God came down from heaven to enter into a relationship with each one of us. Now, sometimes when we hear that God came down and became a man, sometimes when we hear that God came down to have a personal relationship with each one of us, sometimes I can feel a little bit uncomfortable. Sometimes I can feel a little bit, you know, awkward, a little bit too close that God, the God of heaven coming down as a man to have a personal relationship with us. Sometimes I can feel like an invasion of our personal space. A number of years ago, I was living in Africa and I uh, was studying there and I have a friend in Africa named Rob Bear. He's from the Congo and we would spend time studying the scriptures and, and hanging out, laughing, eating together and playing basketball. And one day after basketball, we were walking back along the road, back to our, our campus uh, and our dorm, and uh, we were kind of laughing and enjoying each other's company. And my friend Robert reached out and he grabbed my hand, and he kind of held it really nice and close. And at first, you know, it was a little bit uncomfortable, you know, to have Robert holding my hand. Now, we don't see that very often in the U.S., but in Africa, it's common as a way of showing your appreciation of someone or your love for someone. It's common for you to just pull out and hold somebody's hand. So I just need a volunteer, just someone to help me illustrate this. Maybe, maybe Rich would come on up here, please, Rich, as we uh, want to illustrate this, this principle real quick here. Because sometimes it's a little bit uncomfortable when we hear that God became man so that he could have a personal relationship with us. See, my friend, he, as we were walking along, he just kind of held my hand and, and, uh, and, and it felt a little bit uncomfortable at first. And then we started walking along and then, and then he, and then he stopped and, and then he did the little, the little interlocking fingers with me. And, and then I started to feel a little bit more uncomfortable. How about you, Rich? It's all right. 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 But sometimes that's how we can feel. When we hear that God became man and he wants to have a relationship with us, sometimes they can feel a little bit too close. Feel a little bit awkward, you know, a little bit strange. Let's give it up for Rich here. You're going to have a seat here. But sometimes when we hear that God, the God of heaven, came down to be with us, to live among us, to have a personal relationship with us, that can feel a little bit odd. It can feel a little strange. It can feel a little bit uncomfortable, like an invasion into our personal space. But that's who God is. That's what he did. The God of heaven, this triune God, came down as the God of love to be with us. To have a relationship with each one of us. But that's not all who God is. 
God is not only Emmanuel, the God that is with us. God's not only this God of love. For those of you that wrote down about what comes to your mind when you think about God, some of you wrote down that God is holy or that God is self-sufficient, that he is transcendent, that he is perfect, that he is completely other, that God has no needs. See, there's this great passage in the Bible that talks about who God is. In, in Athens, uh, in Acts chapter 17, Paul talks to the Athenians. And he, and he gives this description of God that is just so clear. And in Athens, he's talking to these philosophers, these thinkers. And he's preaching the good news about Jesus in the Areopagus. And this is what he says about God. He says, this is what comes to Paul's mind when he hears the word God. He says this in in verse 22. He says, Paul stood up at the meaning of the Areopagus and he said, Men of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an inscription to an unknown God that you worship as something unknown I'm going to proclaim to you. He says, I see that you're very religious. That you have many objects of worship, that you show up for the worship services, that you have these hundreds of places where you can go and worship God. So the Athenians did not have a problem of apathy. They had a problem with uncertainty. They were passionately pursuing God. They just never met the God of the Bible. So Paul says, this is God. I'm going to describe to you who God is. You see, when it came to their mind, when they thought about God, they thought that God was just this variety of different deities that they had to appease. Paul says, no, this is who God is. In verse 24, he says this, The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth. And he does not live in temples built by hands, and he's not served by human hands as if he needed anything, because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. See, this is who God is. This is what comes to our minds when we think about God, that God is the creator of heaven and earth. And he doesn't live in temples built by hands. He's not served by human hands because he doesn't need anything. He has no needs. He is self-sufficient. He has everything he needs to be God. A friend of mine, when he was younger, he was in a religious class and the Sunday school teacher was talking about creation and how God created the sun and the moon and the stars and everything else. And, and he raised his hand as a young stir growing up in church and he asked this great question. He says, why did God create the world? Why did God create me? And I think that's just a fantastic question. Maybe you have asked that same question. Why am I here? Why did God create me? And the Sunday school teacher paused and answered the question this way. God created you because he was lonely and he needed someone to talk to. And right then and there, my friend got a misperception of God. He thought God needed him, that God had some deficiency that only he could fill. And he spent the rest of his life trying to fill a void in God's life. He lived by the phrase, you know, if the kids are okay, then the parents okay. So he tried to be a good kid in order to get God to be okay, in order to fill some void in God's life. And he had a misperception of God. See, what came to his mind when he heard the word God was a God that needed him. But according to the Bible, that's not the case. God does not need 
us. He has no needs. He's not served by human hands. He's holy. He's just. He's self-sufficient. He has everything he needs to be God. He is the triune God living in perfect unity and community. See, here's the truth. Here's the, back, here's the backstage pass. Here's the look behind the curtain. Here's the story of God behind the story of Christmas that gives meaning to the story of Christmas. Here it is. Although God has no needs, He chooses to love us. Although God does not need us, He chooses to come down to us to show us His love. Although God has no needs, he chooses to love us. See, that's amazing. That's astounding. That's who God is. You see, I don't know about you, but there have been relationships that I have been in. When someone's hurt me, someone's rejected me, someone has done something to me that I didn't like, and I just said, I don't need this. I don't need you. And God could have said that to each one of us, to all the world, all of humanity. Because it's we who have sinned. It's we who have disobeyed God. It's us that have turned our backs on God. And God could have said to each one of us, I don't need you. I don't need this. I don't need this stuff that you're doing to me. He could have turned his back on each one of us because of our sin and our disobedience. But he doesn't. Instead... God says, although I don't need you, I choose to love you. Although I am self-sufficient, although I have no needs, I choose to come down from heaven to show you who I really am. A God of grace and love and acceptance. I choose to give you the gift of a right relationship with me, not based on your performance if you've been a bad or good girl this year, but based solely on the work of the cross. I give you the gift of a right relationship with me. And some of you are here today and you're saying, wow, I didn't know that. I didn't know that God was so big. I didn't know he was self-sufficient. I didn't know he didn't need me. I thought God was a God that kind of needed me, that, that, that kind of needed to have a relationship with me and, and wanted my company. But I guess I was wrong. God doesn't need me. See, here's the backstage pass. Although God does not need us, He chooses to love us. He chooses to love us just as we are and not as we should be. And although that truth is so life-changing, although that truth is so formative of understanding who God is, there's even a greater truth. Although God does not need us, He chooses to love us. There's a greater truth and here it is. Because God does not need us, He can love us unconditionally. Because God does not need us, because he is self-sufficient, perfect, holy, and just, he doesn't need us. Because of that, he can love us with no strings attached. He can love us freely. He can love us unconditionally. He can love us graciously, giving us exactly what we need but don't deserve. And some of you are here today and say, really? That's who God is? That's the story behind the story of Christmas. I say, yes, that's the backstage pass. That's the person, this holy, just, self-sufficient God who has no need of us comes down as a baby to be with us, 
to live a perfect life, to die in our place so that we could receive a relationship with him. See, that's, that's God. That's the story of Christmas. That's the story of God behind the story of Christmas. This all-knowing, all-powerful, holy, self-sufficient God coming down to show us who he really is. A God of grace and love and acceptance. And he came down not because he needs us, not because there's some deficiency in his life, not because there's only something that he can give to that that he that we can give to him, but because he loves us. Because God has no needs, he comes down with love and grace. He loves us with a love that can never be earned. Therefore it can never be lost. See that's who God is. And that's the story of God behind the story of Christmas. See, that's the backstage pass. That's the power of the incarnation, God becoming flesh. This holy, perfect, triune God entering into humanity because he loves us. And with that as a backdrop, let me read to you Matthew. Again, this Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. This is how the birth of Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Right there we see the Trinity. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. And he said, Joseph, son of David... Do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what was conceived of her is from the Holy Spirit. There he is again, the triune God, and she will give birth to a son. And you are to give him the name Jesus. Why do you give him the name Jesus? Because he will save the people from their sins. He will finally deal with the problem of sin in the world. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and give birth to a son. And they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. God, the holy God, the self-sufficient God, the triune God is with us. He's here among us. You know, uh, in the book, uh, A Conversation with Bono, He's reflecting upon an experience that he had on Christmas Eve. He's back in Dublin and he wants to go to a Christmas Eve service. So he goes to St. Patrick's Cathedral for the worship service. And he's never been to the Christmas Eve service before. And so he, you know, he, he tries to find a seat in the back and he finds a seat. and He's sitting sort of in, uh, behind a pillar so he doesn't have a very good um, view of the service. And he's been traveling all nights and for the last couple nights, so he's a little bit tired. So during the Christmas Eve service, he's starting to nod off and drift a little bit. And so he grabs the program and he begins to read the program to somehow stay awake during this Christmas Eve service. And then it dawns upon him for the first time the meaning of Christmas. And Bono writes this. It really dawned upon me. It really sank in the Christmas story. If there's a force of love and logic in the universe that it would seek to explain itself is amazing enough. That it would seek to explain itself and describe itself by becoming a child born in straw poverty. 
a child, just the thought of that, wow, just the poetry. Unknowable love, unknowable power describes itself as the most vulnerable. And there I was with tears coming down my face and I saw the genius of this. And then Bono writes these words. Love needs to find form. Intimacy needs to be whispered. To me, it makes sense. It's actually logical. It's pure logic. Essence has to manifest itself. It's inevitable. Love has to become an action or something concrete. It would have to happen. There must be an incarnation. Love must be made flesh. Love must be made flesh. There must be an incarnation. God must become man. And on that Christmas Eve service many years ago, he got it. He understood the Christmas story that God, the triune holy God became man. Not because he needed us, but to show his love for us. And that's what happened. He understood the Christmas story. But what about you? What about your spiritual journey? Do you understand? Have you internalized? Do you believe this Christmas story? Have you experienced this unknowable, powerful love of God found in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? Have you made that profession of faith? Confessing your sin and accepting Christ as your Savior. Because that's the message of Christmas. That's the gift that God gives to each one of us. This gift of love wrapped up in a baby, in a manger. Displaying who He is, this God of grace. See, it's really a simple prayer. It's a prayer that you can even pray tonight. It's a prayer trusting Christ as your personal Lord and Savior and asking Him to take residence up in your heart that He would become your personal Lord and Savior. As the band comes up, I'm going to lead us in a time of prayer and then we're going to reflect upon a song of the amazing love of God. But if that's your prayer, if that's your heart's desire to enter into a personal relationship with God, you can make that commitment tonight and experience the powerful love of God given to us in the gift of a right relationship with Him. Not based in our performance, whether we've been a good or bad boy or girl this year, but based solely on His grace and His love. So will you pray with me? Gracious God and Father, we thank You for Your story. The story of God displayed in the story of Christmas. That you, God, came down to become a man, to enter into a relationship with us. That's so astounding. That's so amazing. May we experience your love and your grace this Christmas season. And may we receive a right relationship with you. And if that's your prayer tonight, if you want to trust Christ as your Savior, it's really a simple prayer. You just say, God, I know I'm a sinner. Forgive me for my sin. I accept Christ as my Savior tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.